Welcome to episode number 29 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week we will have a unique educational episode. Uh, I think both Johnny and myself have been noticing over the course of the past few weeks that we are getting a ton of different questions centered around football pools. Um, How do I go about making my survivor pick? How do I go about picking in this stale lines contest with my buddies? How do I go about... Uh, playing a GPP uh, in DFS. Uh, and we're going to kind of work through that this week because it's, uh, I think it's something very topical right now with football season being mid-swing uh, and also seems to be uh, an endless source of discussion uh, from the community. But uh, I'll bring in Johnny here. Johnny, how are things going? All good, Rob. How are you? I'm doing okay. I mean, it's it's a grind now with hockey and football going on at the same time. So um, I could say goodbye to my life until at least the Super Bowl is done. But uh, I mean, this is the kind of stuff we live for, I think, as sports bettors. I see you're rocking the uh, Nashville Predators yellow cap. Where'd you get that one? I got this in Nashville uh, years ago uh, when I was there for a, a home game in which I actually bet against Nashville and was one of the few people in attendance cheering for the Buffalo Sabres who actually won the game after coming back from 4-1 down to win in overtime, which was an incredible experience. But uh, I did buy a Nashville hat so that I would blend in. I'm like, I'm not the guy that's at the uh, cheering for the visiting team, clapping for all the goals. Like I sit very quietly in in my seat and pretend I'm upset when the home team is, uh, things are not going in their favor. Well, that's uh, definitely a story you won't forget then, I guess. So a couple of years ago, you in Nashville betting on who else but the Buffalo Sabres. I'm assuming, you know, listen, they're bad now, but they were, they've been bad for years. So I assume they were one of the bottom tier teams at that time as well. They probably got some big plus money. I did. I had great seats for the game, probably 10 rows up. And right in front of me, Jack Eichel scored the overtime winner. Uh, and my partner, who is not like, I'm a... Uh, I don't like co- confrontation in general. I'm not a com- confrontational person. I just like to be laid back. But my partner at the time was just like clearly made it known he bet on the Sabres to the entire like section and was standing up and rooting and going nuts. And it was uh, it was a pretty fun experience. Um, I had to pretend like I didn't know him for a little bit. But it, yeah, it was a, a fun night. And Nashville is a great city for anyone who hasn't been uh, Broadway is just like such a great strip of, of bars. And I'm not even like a country music guy like you are, Johnny. I know you you dig the country music here and there, but even then I was enjoying it. Like it's it's just a really good spot. This guy ought to be on the pod. I like some country music. I'm not the really hardcore stuff, but uh, you know, I, I am a fan. I like a lot of different types of music. Anyways, we will get into this episode, which I'm going to title something along the lines of uh, how to win all of your pools, guaranteed. (laughs) We'll do something like that, clickbait title. Uh, But we want to get into different types of pools, both football pool, you know, hockey pools, basketball pools, whatever it might be, some DFS, and just give our basic thoughts on how to gain a slight edge in these pools, stuff that doesn't take a lot of work. You know, you don't have to be a genius to do this. You don't have to waste a ton of time to do this and you can have a way better chance to make money. And obviously most of these pools, as we know, are for the bragging rights, the glory, which is, you know, an extra added layer. So step one, before we even get into kind of which pools that we want to talk about and whether it be survivor or pick them, the main thing you need to do, this is the first and most important thing. You need to know the rules of your pool inside and out. Sometimes you're going to be able to find that on a quick 
read and review. Sometimes you have to message a commissioner, but you always want to know exactly what the, the structure of the payouts is, exactly what the rules are. You know, when do people have to submit their picks? How many weeks are this? What happens if someone doesn't submit a pick? By getting all these and also, you know, factoring in changes that might've came from last year, you're going to be able to do stuff. So if you're in a pool of a thousand people and this year there's an extra week, you know, cause let's say NFL has an extra week and maybe they added some different clause or some different thing. Most people are going to just assume the rules are like last year. You got to be on top of the game and know that there's something has changed and then kind of determine where, uh, where that is. And on top of that, the payout structures are so important in these pools because like, if there's a prize for, if there, if, if everyone in the top half of the pool, for example, you know, doubles their money, right? So let's say there's 10 people and the bottom five lose a hundred bucks and the top five win a hundred bucks. You're going to play a lot differently than if there's 10 people in the pool and the top guy wins a thousand and the rest of the people, you know, go bust. So if that's the case, now you have to go one. So we had completely different strategy in how you draft, how you play, what teams you pick, how you chase, things like that. So uh, first and foremost, and, and I'll let Rob voice in here as well, but I think the rules are the most important. Everyone needs to just read quick through and see what they got before they actually even de- decide what the strategy is going to be. I completely agree with that. I think like it's obviously just saying it out loud. It, it, it sounds like it's common sense, but it goes completely unnoticed. And I can just actually give an example of a good friend of mine this week who realized that he's in a survivor pool where you can actually pick the same team more than once in a year and did not know that which is obviously puts himself at an inherent disadvantage, not knowing that over the course of an entire season. And it sounds comical to even say that, but so people just, some people just go straight into the year, assuming, like you said, Johnny, that it's last year's rules or that it's similar to another survivor pool that they're in or another type of pool that they're in. And just paying attention to that type of stuff gives you a marginal advantage. But it's, again, when you're competing with a lot of people, all these edges add up over time. So that's something that for me is I'll never get involved with anything without being fully, like fully understanding what I'm getting into in the first place. And I think that's a good place to start for everyone. Agreed. So we'll get into the classic NFL survivor pool first. And we, we teased a little bit about, about this on um, the last episode with uh, Matt plus EV analytics, but there's a lot of different misconceptions in these survivor pools. And for the most part, these things get put together, you know, the week before the season. Everyone's scrambling to get an entry in. It might be Sunday morning or Saturday and someone's trying to fill a pool or say, I don't have a survivor pool for this this week. They'll message a couple of buddies and they'll get into a pool. Um, these things have a, a lot of interest in the start, but people lose interest. You know, people don't submit their picks. They get on auto pick. They might get eliminated directly if they don't submit a pick. So ultimately, if you're going to take a survivor pool and place semi-seriously, um, chances are you're going to have a decent edge in terms of winning it. So I would say, uh, what we want to outline first are a couple of misconceptions. We talked about one last episode, but you know, a lot of people say you got to map out your, your, your year ahead of time. Obviously this doesn't work out. You have, you, you could map it out and and it's good to kind of do so just for your own knowledge and things like that. But ultimately there's so many different teams and so many different things change throughout the year that if you map out and preset your whole team, uh, you're going to be at a significant disadvantage because one injury here, one injury there, everything's going to be done. So what we always advise and what I, what I've done in the past and had success doing is, you know, going on a week by week basis and using a team that you feel is strong for this week. If a team has, you know, a few more good matchups and you might want to, you might want to save them. Sure. You can do that. But 
a death wish that people do in these pools is saying, okay, I got Tampa Bay. And if I get to week 17 uh, or week 18 this year, then Tampa Bay is going to be in the best possible matchup. And that's going to seal the pool for me. So I got to save Tampa Bay to the end. But little do you know, maybe Tampa Bay is already playing for nothing. They're in a bye week spot. They're going to rest Brady. They rest all their guys. And then now you're stuck instead of with a 15 point favorite with a three point favorite. And at the same time, you know, you might have someone might be playing the chiefs or, you know, another really good team or the bills that's, you know, they've, they've sealed it and now they're playing all their backups. And now you have a team like the Steelers who you weren't going to play and they're fighting for the playoff lives versus the bills or, you know, resting all the starters. And now you have like an eight point favorite or a 10 point favorite. So you really shouldn't be planning too far ahead in these pools. I like to go week by week. I would say, um, this is a significant mistake that a lot of people make. Um, and I'll let Rob add here, but what do you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, like mapping out the NFL is very fluid in that things can change so rapidly, right? You get a quarterback injury where all of a sudden a team that you expected to be able to use at the beginning of the year is no longer going to be usable because they're, you know, their starting quarterback is out or whatever. I think it's like, it's not a, a, a horrible strategy in terms of like understanding spots that you can use teams over the course of the year, but your goal is to maximize expected value over that entire season. And you can't predict necessarily what teams are going to look like, you know, even next week, but let alone six weeks, 10 weeks from now. So I think that's definitely a common mistake. And you see that with people, quote unquote, saving teams, right? I'm going to save this team. Why would I burn them now? Well, I mean, the reality of a survivor pool is you want to get on to the next week. So yeah, you might burn them, but if it gets you to the next week, it's job well done. And potentially down the road, yeah, you can't use that team anymore, but there's no guarantee that you would be able to use that team down the road again, just because things change so quickly. Um, so that's something certainly to be cognizant of. I've never been one personally to map things out. I, I know what, you know, which, where I could possibly use teams over the course of the year, but I also know in the back of my head that that could change at any given moment. Agreed. Second thing that a lot of people do is they, at any point in the pool, they, they pick an underdog as their pick. Now I'm going to be very clear here. There's 16 games, you know, in the first couple of weeks. And then when, with bye weeks, there's uh, obviously less games, but if there's 16 games, that means there's 16 favorites. You might say, you know, one team might be minus 110, pinnacle shades them minus 12. Yes. There's still going to be a favorite in that game. So if there is 16 favorites, it's absolutely unacceptable to ever choose an underdog. In the NFL, one of the most efficient, best markets, biggest markets in American sports, um, the closing lines are, in theory, the, the win percentages. So you, you know that the closing line value for the purposes of a survivor pool is efficient. So there's no reason for you to pick an underdog. A lot of people will say, oh, week one, there's this big favorite that everyone's going to be on. There's a 14 point favorite. You know, it might be, uh, let's say in, in future, in previous years, I remember always having like the Raiders as a team where they'd, they'd have an easy, a hard matchup week one versus let's say Peyton Manning and the Colts. And everyone would say Colts are 15 point favorites. Everyone's going to be on them. And there would always be three, four guys that took the Raiders thinking if they upset the Colts, you know, 25% of the pools out and I'm in. Reality is don't do that because what you could do is I'm not saying pick the Colts. If you want to play contrarian, that's a strategy you can do, but just pick another team that has a, a better chance of winning. That is also not going to be picked. So if we're mapping out what the, what the purpose of this pool is, is you want to, it's a game theory. Obviously you don't want to win if everybody else wins, cause then you win less money. So you want to be the only one to win. 
which is an awesome strategy. And the people who realize there's a game theory aspect are, you know, in, in essence, a step ahead of the curve. But by taking the highest underdog, you're doing yourself a disservice. Really, what you need to do is take the team with the highest win percentage that is going to not be a popular team if you want to play contrarian. So you, if there's going to be a team that's a pick em, like let's say it's Browns versus Bengals, and that game's a pick em, um, you can take that team and likely have a, a low percentage of the pool on that game versus taking, like I said, that Raiders-Colts matchup where the Raiders might be a 15-point dog. Um, all in this to say, when you're looking at game theory here, you want to pick the team with the highest win percentage that is going to be the least picked in the pool. That way, if those those higher teams that are higher picked win, you know, it's less value for them because more people are in the pool. And if they lose, it's higher value for you because you're, you're less people. So that's the, the kind of like the caveat there. I would definitely advise against ever picking an underdog. There's so many options that you almost never need to do so. Actually, I don't think you ever do. That's a general rule of thumb that should be like, again, I'm someone in the past podcast that would say never say never type of thing. I'm going to say never. Do not ever pick an underdog. Like it makes absolutely no sense in Survivor that over the course of an entire NFL season where you have 18 weeks now, 32 different teams to pick, you would ever end up on a team that has less than 50% chance to win. Makes logically no sense to ever do that. So never, ever do that. The only thing, the only rebut I will make to what you've said, Johnny, is that, and this has to be taken into account in general, but it's the other people that are in your pool. So in these large survivor pools, I'm talking thousands of people, you tend to have a lot of dead money. You have a lot of people who are casual fans, don't really understand strategy, in which case everything that we're talking about makes sense. When you're in a smaller pool with sharper people, then you almost have to get square. And what I mean by this is that everybody in that pool is thinking the same way that you're thinking in the sense that they're, you know, they're looking at what the win percentage is of every team and the percent probability that is going to be picked. You can now assume that the percentage probability of teams that are going to be picked is very, very different in that type of pool versus a very public one. Um, so like it, your strategy always has to adapt to the people that you're going up against. And that just applies is a general rule of thumb in any sort of pool that you're ever in. But there's websites that are out there right now, like Survivor Grid, which is a very, very popular one. And when I first started betting on Survivor pools, nobody knew about this site. And it's absolutely amazing. So I will feel free to promote it. But it's just a very easy breakdown, a very um, graphical view of these are the win percentages, implied win percentages of every team that's playing this week. These are the percentages that they're picked in Yahoo pools right now. Um, run your pool, office pools, whatever. And here's the future value of the teams. And I think that it's a very nice view. The problem is it's becoming extremely popular now. So those who are in the know and understand are kind of just going to, to um, Survivor Grid and they're picking the team with the highest expected value because that makes logical sense. But... If everybody is starting to pick the team with the highest expected value, well, they're actually not going to have the highest expected value anymore because the percentage that they are picked is going to bring their expected value down. So it's kind of like this balancing act. For the most part, everything Johnny said rings true, especially in larger pools where people just don't grasp these concepts. But when you're playing with sharper people, smaller pools, uh, people that you know specifically will use sites like this to lock in their picks then it's going to kind of change your strategy around. 
Agreed. So there's two inputs that you need to know. You need to know what the win percentage uh, probability of the team is. Now that in theory, you do know because you can take the closing odds um, from a major market bet from a major market betting site. You can take the closing odds and you can convert that. Also open up bet stamp. If you don't know how to do any of these um, open up bet stamp, go to NFL and you can see the percentage that each team will win. It's right in the app, right next to the team logo. Uh, so you'll see, like I'll pull it up for, for this week. This will probably be podcast will probably be out, um, tomorrow. So you can see this game. For example, I'll go to Sunday first game on the week. You got Carolina, um, playing in, in New York against the giants. So you'll see Carolina 58% chance to win giants 42. That is derived based on the money line odds. So minus 142 average price, uh, is going to get you a 58 versus 42% split in terms of win percentage. So those numbers you already have, you can check BetSamp and you can get those numbers right away. The, the other factor is then like Rob mentioned, what are the other people in your pool going to pick? If you could, in theory, pick last and see everybody else's selections, it would be very easy to make the optimal pick. Um, and then you would just be relying on a little bit of luck, but you'd be coming in with the highest edge of ever, anyone in your pool. Um, because you don't have that, like Rob said, Try to look, try to leverage those other tools, try to play game theory, see who your buddies are on. If you're in a pool that has a thousand entries and you know, 20 of the guys in the pool, ask around, see what they're on. Just because even, you know, the mentality, what they're picking, like, oh, I'm on the bucks this week. If five of them are on the bucks, probably a lot more people are going to be on the bucks as well in the pool. But, uh, anyways, that's it for traditional survivor pools. We mentioned knowing the rules. Another example is the Circa survivor pool that's being offered in Vegas right now. The rules formats a little bit different on that one, which a lot of people learn this, you know, a couple of weeks in, which is, you know, get puts them at a huge disadvantage is uh, they have actually a 20 week season. So they go week one through 18 um, is 18 weeks. And then they have Thanksgiving Thursday as its own week. And then they've got the last Saturday of the NFL season where the games are split Saturday, Sunday as its own week as well. So when we're doing that now, Anyone who knows, you know, watches football on Thanksgiving, there's only three games. Typically, it's the same teams, but the schedule is known in advance. So in theory, if you had used all six of the teams that are playing on Thanksgiving, when you get to that game that week, you're eliminated. You need to read the rules before. Otherwise, you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage. In that scenario, like when we're looking at who's playing on Thanksgiving, you need to figure out, hey, these two teams are going to be favorites. I don't want to risk that a quarterback is injured or something. I need to hold one of these two teams. And we talked about not planning in advance, but this is more of like a unique scenario where there's only three games on. You can't be left without a good option for that week. Otherwise, you might be forced to take a six or a seven point underdog uh, and put yourself at a disadvantage. So reading the rules, there's a bunch of different double elimination survivor pools where you get you get to have a, an extra chance. Now, this changes the way you're going to play. Now you can be a little more aggressive because, um, you know, you want to, you got to win essentially you got, you got to survive twice. So everyone in the pool has got to survive twice. There's going to be a few winners at the end of the year. So now you got to play more aggressive if you want to keep up with that game theory. So that's it for survivor pools. Um, and unless Rob has anything else to add, if not, we'll get into the pick contests, Westgate, uh, super contest, circa millions, Rob, anything that? Just the last thing I'll say on survivor pools in general is that you tend to get really good expected value in favorites that play on Thursday. Uh, for some reason or another in the NFL, um, whether that's like people locking in their survivor pool picks on the weekend or whatever, 
you get these big favorites on Thursday night football that tend to not be highly picked. Um, and that's just something that like, there's no reason for that. There's no reason you should avoid a Thursday night team. It's just because again, I think most people lock in their picks later in the week, or like they think that the Thursday game is more of a crapshoot than anything else. But it's not a general rule of thumb. I would just say that I think like there's this maybe a misconception out there that you shouldn't play the Thursday game. And there's really no reason to to not play the Thursday game. If you feel that that team has a very high win probability and they're going to be uh, lowly picked relative to the rest of the, the options in that week, then for sure go for it. There's no risk in that. There's a significant edge to be had to picking the Thursday game on week one for a few reasons. And again, it depends on, it varies by pool. But on week one, the Thursday, like I mentioned, these pools get pieced together the week of. So you get a ton of signups on Saturday and even Sunday morning of people that are just getting their last second entries in, submitting payments, things like that. So you have, in theory, let's say your pool is 1,000 people when all said and done. There might only be 600 people in the pool on by the time that Thursday game even happens. So there's so much less likelihood that people will pick that Thursday game. So if you can pick the Thursday game, if there is a big favorite there or a juicy matchup, you should pick that Thursday game because there's a high likelihood that a lot of people are not on it because they're not focused. They don't remember that that game. They're caught off guard that the season's starting, forget to set their lineup. And also, if you do lose that game, and for whatever reason, there were a lot of people who were on that pick and it lost, um, well, now you can rebuy in. Uh, to the survivor pool in all likelihood if the commissioner will let you and you already have some information on you know there's already 100 eliminated entries so the you know pot odds as they'd call it in poker are higher all right valid points we will move on to the i guess longer season uh long type of contests uh picking against the spread type of pools whether that's the circa millions westgate super contest or whatever pools you have uh, amongst your friends as well there's a lot of different types and we'll try to cover strategy for all of them but i think the the biggest thing to get across as a general rule of thumb is that early in the year you want to pick games that you are most confident in and if you can take advantage of stale lines and when i say stale lines i'm talking about a lot of these pools will put out a line set on Wednesday or Thursday of the week. And that line set is locked in for the rest of the week. So you as a better have the advantage of knowing on a Sunday what that line has moved to. And you can bet or lock in the biggest differences between those Wednesday, Thursday lines to Sunday. And that's an inherent advantage that not enough people take advantage of. Early in the year, you want to take advantage of those as much as possible and pick the games that you like most irrespective of the fact that a lot of other people might be on them. And again, this is applying to 99% of the situations, but for the most part, you're just trying to get ahead of the pack early on in the year. And even if that's a strategy that a lot of people are taking, you're still very likely to separate yourself from the, the quote unquote dead money in the pool and, and get to the top of the pack. Your strategy is going to change very much depending on where you're sitting midway through the season and into the latter half of the year. And if you do find yourself ahead of other people, you want to continue employing that strategy where you're picking off the best numbers possible. That's giving you the best probability to succeed in the long run. And whether or not you're part of the consensus or whatever, it doesn't matter because people have to catch you. They have to catch up to you to get into the money. If you're on the other side of the spectrum where you're chasing the money and you're behind people, then it makes no sense for you to end up on the same plays that are popular from everyone else. 
In fact, there's a very good logical argument to be made that you should be going the opposites of those so that you can gain more than one. Uh, you can gain extra ground, I should say, if one of those picks fails. But that's when you start to, to to morph into the contrarian strategy where you're looking at picking games that other people aren't picking. So the Thursday Night Football one is a great example because if you look at Circa Millions, Westgate Super Contest every year, barely any people lock in the Thursday game because then they have to lock in all of their picks and they don't get the advantage of the remainder of the week. So locking in that Thursday game is a great way to differentiate yourself. Picking the opposite of the stale lines that are out there, knowing that you have an ability to gain ground. Great strategy if you're trying to, to you know, chase the pack and, and try to get into the money. So this is, you know, I, I think there's a very clear cut way to play this stuff early on in the year. And then you kind of see how you're playing out in the standings and your strategy is going to shift largely in the second half of the year, Johnny. Agreed. Um, back to the rules thing. The payout structures are also very important. And some of these have like a prize for last place, right? So if you're, if you start 0 and 10, for example, your likelihood of getting back into the money is very, very hard, but your likelihood of coming in last has taken a significant, you know, upturn. So now you might actually want to play the worst numbers possible. You might want to reverse steam chase and take the teams that are in the worst spot so that you can have a better shot at last. Again, for some of these pools, the, the last place prize might be, you know, 20, 50, 100 grand, depending on what the pool is. So um, definitely read the rules just to get the payout structures. Rob, how close to game time would you recommend putting these in? Well, it depends. So like it, some pools require you to get in your picks at a certain time. So waiting till last minute is going to be the most advantageous because you see you get to see that view of the market. Um, whereas the earlier you put them in, the more likely things are that can change. So in general, I'm always recommending waiting until the last minute. Obviously, that comes at a risk of not being able to get your picks in. But as long as you're smart about it and you know you set alarms, you get things in on time, then you 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 give yourself the biggest edge by by getting as much information as possible on the games. I uh, I think I agree for the most part with all of that. These contests are like some of these have overlays. Some of these are just like there's a lot of value in this, but there's a lot of work and you do need to do it correctly. Like you, the game theory is much more important than the actual picks. You could make more money. Um, so you can, you're going to make more unexpected value using the game theory. And if you just coin flipped uh, for the first, you know, couple weeks or just coin flipped on the game, picking different games that had, um, you know, the biggest edges or ARBs versus the current market numbers, you don't even really need to actually like have any opinion on the games or have any model or have any listen to any experts like that stuff is not going to help you win uh what will help you win is the game theory yep i i agree with that wholeheartedly i mean i've been part of a part of a lot of these pools in the past before and i think anyone who looks at my public track record in some of the super contest years would be like well like how is Rob going to give me advice when this guy's basically at 500 uh, over the course of a couple seasons entering the super contest? And the reality is that I don't care about my record in the super contest. I think this is something that uh, like a, it's, it's obvious, but I'm in these pools to win money. I will do whatever I can to get into the money to win money. If that means punting some plays and sacrificing some EV late in the year and doing the contrarian thing that I know is probably going to lose, but gives me the best chance to get into that money, 
then I'm going to do that. And like dismiss the record. The record's not a thing. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if you finish five games above 500 or five games below 500, it, you're both making $0 in all likelihood in pretty much every pool that you're in. Uh, I mean, there's no difference. Be- there's no shame, let me say, in um, having an 0-5 week or a 1-4 week when you're chasing money because you have to give yourself the opportunity to do so. So always bear that in mind just in general. As much as it might suck to have some certain plays or to bet on some ugly football teams, 17.5 point underdogs, whatever you have to do, you always have to have the best interest at heart. And I think that's something very important for people. Like this isn't a competition to see who can get the best record and win zero dollars. This is a competition to win money and potentially win a big sum of money in a lot of cases. So I just wanted to throw that out there as something as well that I think people get really hung up on, whether it's promoting their record or just, you know, wanting to save face. Maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're putting actual dollars down in a pool to win money, not to save face. So moving on to a few other pool styles, more office style pools that people have, have done. So if you're in an office or, you know, your parents are in an office, they might bring home one of those box pools. They might, you know, have one of those pools where you need to pick every single game against the spread on a website, like an office pools or things like that. Um, those ones are quite simple, very easy strategy. And there's not really even much debate amongst anyone who plays those on what the strategy is. If you need to pick every single game against the spread for the whole year, um, then it's very simple. Week one through 10, go through right before the game, open up BetStamp, see what the current market odds are. Uh, you can filter for Penny, Chris, Circa, any of the sharp books, see what the current lines are, bet the ones that have moved the most. So you're going to always want to just chase and bet the stay aligned for that pick and pool. Do that for about 10 weeks, evaluate where you are. If you're above the pack, continue to do it. If you're behind the pack, maybe go a little bit contrarian. Take a look at the pick history of the people at the top. Are they doing the same thing? Are they picking the stale lines? If so, then change it up and go contrarian so you can catch up. If not, then continue to pick the stale lines. You're going to win that pool. Uh, I've played in a pool like that for about like, you know, I think it's probably my 10th year. I've never not placed in the money. Never. It just speaks to how much, how efficient the closing line is versus the opening line. Um, obviously when a big quarterback is injured, you're going to get like an eight point swing. And those are very, very obvious. But even if you're getting an extra half point, one point per game, um, the money wins, the sharp money in the NFL wins. So make sure you're just doing that simple foolproof strategy. Not a lot of work. Don't even bother looking at your pool until like 10 minutes before you have to submit it. You're going to win. Um, and then the office box pools, these were huge where myself and Rob are from, uh, even just for hockey. So you, before the hockey season, there's a box pool. Um, what they do is and how these work, there might be five players in each box and there's 25 boxes. So it'll be like centerman one, centerman two, centerman three, and then you have goalie one, goalie two, goalie three. Um, and they try to match up the players to equal skill level. So for hockey, you'll have like the five best players, five highest point getters in the league in one box and then you'll have the second tier and the third tier and then you'll have defense tier one defense tier two so in these pools you have to pick one person one player from every single box and then that makes up your team you never edit your roster it's not like traditional fantasy sports that's your team that's your team for the year if a guy gets injured he's done for the year you don't get any more points if your goalie loses his starting job doesn't get any more points so in these pools um again There's a lot of people who just pick based on their favorite players and things like that, which is fine if you want to have some fun. 
Um, but most of the time, these are like winner take all style pools. They're not necessarily like, oh, there's a prize for 10th place and 15th place. In these scenarios, what you want to do is go extremely high variance. Uh, if there's a pool of, of of 500 people and they're all picking out of the same boxes, you need to you need 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 high variance. So you're not going to want to take the best goalie. Um, you're going to want to take a goalie that has a lot of upside on a team where maybe you take a goalie that doesn't even have his complete starting job yet. But if he does get that job, he's going to get a lot of wins and a lot of points. You also want to focus on stacks, which is taking a lot of people from the same team. Um, and hoping that that team has a really good season where they've put up a lot of points and in turn you've, you've been able to do that. So um, taking a team, for example, like Edmonton Oilers, you know, you're going to get McDavid, you're going to get a few other, you're going to get Dreisaitl, you're going to get two top players. You might not have, even if you took all of the rest of the guys from Edmonton, those guys don't put up points. It's very top heavy, probably not going to want to do that. But at the same time, if you take uh, another team in the league that might be a little bit um, more balance on Rob, give me an example for this season. Like who, where would you say would be a, a top team where you can take a lot of balance for hockey for upside? Yeah. I mean, I would not a top team, but like Montreal would vary their, their scoring is distributed quite widely amongst their top nine forwards. So that's just a team. So, so in a, in a scenario like that, you know, you take eight, seven or eight Montreal players, and then maybe you pick another team that has a, a few good players. And now if Montreal has a, you know, clicks, and everything's well and they're one of the top teams and they're scoring a lot of goals then now you're a part of a whole you, you've got a lot more upside and then obviously you, you might take the montreal goalie and, and things like that so um you want stacks you want upside you also would probably want to avoid players that have a history of of injuries in these so i know what i'm saying in terms of upside but uh guys who are a little bit older and who are just going to miss time in the season like they do every single year it's like a guy like Evgeny Malkin, you know, he's not what he used to be. He still puts up points. He's still a good player, but the likelihood of him missing a lot of time uh, is significantly higher than a younger player. And in these pools, it's not like a fantasy pool where you can sub him out of your roster and put in a different player. If he's, you know, if he's not playing, that's dead points in your, in your lineup. Um, and it's going to hinder you a lot. So I'd say you want to go for upside, um, but you also want to keep be focused on taking players who, um, you know, are not as injury prone. Obviously anything can happen. Anyone could get injured anytime. Um, but there is players that just have a higher likelihood of injury and missing games than others. Rob, what do you think? I think you get, give some really good points there and I can give a real life example. I, I hate to stick with hockey, but I'll do it just because it's fresh in my mind and having started the season this year, I'm in a, a, a large, I'd call it a high roller box pool every year with a pretty decent size entry. There's not a lot of guys, about 85 guys, Box number one for forwards is Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon. For me, I'm the only person in this entire pool that took Nathan McKinnon out of that group uh, for scoring in that in that box one. And the reason why is I was very confident that at least half the pool, if not 75% of them would take Connor McDavid because he's a phenom. He's expected to lead the league by a ton of points and he probably will, but there's obviously a chance of injury in the NHL. And if he does get injured, then you make yourself live. And the only reason I didn't take Austin Matthews is because this is a Toronto-based pool. I live in Toronto. It's very likely that a lot of people who are entering are going to pick Austin Matthews because they want to cheer for the Toronto-based player. So we're talking now mid-80s entrance, and I'm the only single person with Nathan McKinnon. There's a lot of things that can go your way. Like, I'm not likely to win. I need some variance to happen and to work in my favor. But I'm not really separating myself by taking any of those other guys either. And there's not enough of a gap between those three players 
to warrant not taking a shot on McKinnon either. So I think like, again, it's just thinking logically. A lot of this just boils down to logic and take a step back and think about what other people are going to do. Um, and, and then kind of make your decisions based off of that. And a lot of it is, you know, this is the box pool specifically where, where stuff is locked in over the course of the year. But again, I'll stress that if you're in a pool where you're making weekly picks in it, in anything that you do, you have so much, like so many different ways to alter your strategy over the course of the year in order to improve. And remember that you also have access to information in what every single other person in that pool is picking over the course of the year that can help aid your decisions as well. If you know, if you're just outside the top five in a pool, you can profile every single person that's in the top five, what they've picked over the course of the year, what they're likely to pick going forwards. You might notice one guy picks the Dallas Cowboys every single week. Okay, maybe I want to avoid the Dallas Cowboys if I want to gain ground on this guy. One guy might love home underdogs or something along those lines. And I'm not necessarily saying everybody is fully profilable in the sense that you know what they're going to pick, but you will notice some trends and you can use this to your advantage going forwards as well. Yeah, there's some websites, uh, even going back to some of the other pools where if someone submits their picks, you could see them before the games lock. So that's another reason why you would want to always submit your game, your games like right before the deadline so no one else can see them. I know we're talking major strategy here and it's not going to matter for a lot of people, but if you can see someone else's picks, go through, see what they picked. If you need to gain ground on someone, um, it's, it's an easy way to do so. You can't, you're, you're not left in the blind. So, uh, Rob, I know, so I, for all the, the listeners, I don't play uh, too much DFS. Um, I do a lot of uh, prop stuff, player projections and things like that. But DFS has never really been um, an area of interest for me. And I know Rob played DFS pretty seriously for a while. So um, I can add a little bit, but I'm going to turn this over to Rob and uh, help, you know, hopefully give you guys some advice with, you know, beginners and how to play DFS as well. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel here and I, I'm not going to give uh, like the most seasoned expert DFS players, anything that they don't know, but there are a lot of points that I would like to make just in general. So typically when you're playing DFS, you have your cash games and you have your tournaments, your cash games, typically you're going to go a lot more conservative. You don't want as much variance as possible. You want to pick a lineup that is very safe just in general, whereas on a tournament side of things, you are looking for variance, especially as that tournament gets larger. You also want to do things to separate yourself from the pack. And I'll give some real life examples. And, and these are very old. And yes, things change over the course of years. But when I first started playing DFS, I started with baseball. And for tournaments, it was shocking to me how many people were just picking players from a bunch of different lineups, which obviously for me, I was like, well, why would anyone do this? If, if a team scores 14 runs in a game, um, I want to have the, you know, a lot of hitters from that lineup because it's obviously correlated. I don't want to disperse my players amongst different teams. So I would stack the first five batters of an MLB lineup that I thought was going to score a lot of runs. And that was a huge differentiator at the time. The market, just like any market in the world, eventually catches up to this type of stuff and everybody starts doing it. So I now want to differentiate myself from the people that are stacking one through five in a lineup. So I start stacking one through four and the six hitter instead of the five hitter, which in the long run is going to produce less points, but it's enough of a differentiator that gives me an edge over the rest of the competition. 
eventually people catch up to that as well. And this is going to happen in every sport. You look at the NFL, for example, and it used to be very simple quarterback wide receiver stacks um, where you would just pick a quarterback and you put two receivers or a receiver and a tight end from his team onto that um, that tournament lineup. And that increases your likelihood of, of correlated points. Uh, but people catch on to that. So what's one way to differentiate yourself? Well, if I'm stacking a team that has uh, with a quarterback and two wide receivers and they're going to score a ton of points, well, it's very likely that the other team in that game is going to be throwing late in the game. So I'm going to stack, I'm going to include the number one wide receiver from the opposing team as well. And that's kind of how DFS is evolving. And that's just really the mindset that you have to have in general when you're thinking of a tournament lineup. It's not only these are the players I think are going to do well. You kind of have to talk yourself into a game flow of what you think is going to happen. Like if you're going to stack just completely random uh, Matt Ryan with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. Okay, that's fine. That's that's a great stack. Um, if they put up a lot of points, it's very likely that the other team is throwing in the in the game. Um, you potentially want to have the receiver on the other team, and and that's like became a a common perception in the NFL. And there's all sorts of types of of different sports and different ways to create these stacks. But what you're ultimately going for is high variance most of the time, and not necessarily the teams uh, that are going to be commonly picked, the quarterbacks that are going to be commonly picked. You're looking for someone that still has a potential ceiling that's very high, but maybe is flying under the radar relative to everyone else. So that's just a general overview. I, I'm not giving you enough where you can just go out and certainly just win right away. I mean, you still need decent enough projections, but just like any other pool that you're in, because this is a pool in a sense, you have to think about the amount of people you're playing against, what the rules are specifically for that pool, what you can and cannot do, um, how many games are involved on the slate. You have to take all this data into account, all this information into account, and then think of ways to, in a sense, outsmart others or create, you know, in a larger pool, basically ways that if chaos happens, it's going to work in your favor. Fair enough. Like the stacks are, the stacks are interesting when you look at things like taking not only the guys on one team, but taking the guys on both teams for NFL, because then you're looking at, well, if this game's a shootout, we might have an old, you know, classic Eagles Cowboys shootout where it's, you know, 54 to 53. And then everyone in the game's blown up, not just one team's receiver. So that's a good, um, a good little caveat as well. In terms of DFS, anything people can do from the actual site perspective, like entering a $10 contest or the hundred dollar contest, um, anything like that, that you've had edges on in the past. I will say yes, but it is actually uh, contrary to what I would have thought at first. I think actually at the higher price scales, you will often often find softer competition and people that are easier to uh, profile. So when you get into uh, competitions that are $100, $500, even more than that, and granted, I have not played those for the majority of my life. I only did that for a short while, but you tend to see the same people over and over, the same guys that are putting in lineups, which at first, you it's kind of like a little bit overwhelming. You're like, well, these guys are all you know making a lot of money and whatever. But then you start to see the habits of those specific people. And when you're able to do that, you can then profile those and, and you, you can, in a sense, figure out what these people are going to do before they actually do it. And that gives you a competitive advantage. Now, granted, they can do the same for you. 
So it's a two-way street, but as long as you're smart about it, there's that. In general, it, it, DFS is becoming more difficult to beat because there's really good content out there now. There's good projections. Wherever you go, you can find good projections. You can find a lot of what I've already talked about on this podcast, this educational material, you can find, um, and everyone has access to it. So you have to constantly be thinking on your feet and saying, what can I do to potentially give myself a bigger edge? And you know, in these cash game scenarios, you end up with a lot of guys who are, you're basically coming down to two or three different players on a roster, uh, because all the same guys are owned across the board. Um, whereas back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I'm even talking about even a few years ago, you didn't, but um, I, I do think that when you play regularly against the same people and you are able to um, learn their tendencies, that's overall going to give you a larger edge when you're in the DFS space. Agreed. Uh, so last thing we wanted to get into is um, something we touched on with Plus EV Analytics last episode as well, the Ontario Pro Pools. So I'll let Rob give an overview on what this is and we can get into some strategy behind this. Uh, if you're not from Ontario, I think you might still find value in the discussion from a strategy perspective. Um, and if you are, then uh, this will help you out. Yeah, I, I don't know if this actually exists outside of Ontario, but I, I am very confident that it will at some point if it doesn't right now, uh, just because it's very popular amongst recreational gamblers. It's it's in a sense a, a huge parlay. Um, but the way that it works is in any given NFL week, let's say there's no buys. You have 16 NFL games. Um, you take away the Thursday one because they want to get as much any money in as possible. So you have maybe a 15 game slate of Sunday, Monday. And what you're doing is you're playing a $5 ticket and you pick the winner of every single game. And if it, the, the pot is divided amongst the people who get the most games correct. If you were to go 15 out of 15, it's very likely... Uh, with a couple underdogs, it's very likely that you could win a, a solo pot or split with a few people. If it's a lot of favorites, you're splitting with a lot of people. In some cases, one wrong will win a week if there was a lot of chaos as well. Uh, but you do have options as well to uh, what's called boxing a game, where you can take both teams in a specific game by doubling your entry amount. So if I had a $5 ticket um, and I wanted to say to myself, well, you know what? I don't want it to come down to Monday night football and have a sweat. I'm going to make this a $10 ticket and take both sides on Monday night football. That's a very common thing for people to do. Or let's make it $20 and I'll take both sides on Monday night football and Sunday night football. Uh, but in reality, what this is, is a competition of who can pick the most correct straight up winners in the course of one week. So I'm going to debunk what boxing means for all those people. And anyone who's listening in Ontario... Hopefully this isn't news to you, but if it is, then, then you know, hopefully we can learn from it. So um, when you on the actual sheet, the way this works um, for anyone not in Ontario, you walk into a, like a convenience store or a gas station and there's a little section that says OLG Pro Line and you pick what's essentially like a little Scantron sheet that you would have filled out in, in school and you, you mark with a pencil your selections and then you mark how much and on the sheet. And then you give it to the convenience store operator. He'll run it through the system. And then it comes out as if you're playing like a lottery ticket. So, and you get a little slip as if it's a lottery ticket. So what on that, on that sheet that you could enter with the pencil, it gives the option to box up to four games. And obviously, as Rob mentioned, if you box, that means you're taking both sides of the game. It's essentially like hedging. You want to omit that game. I want to win this game automatically. Um, 
it gives you the option to box up to four games. Boxing two games is t- boxing one game is ten dollars, two games is twenty, three games is forty, and four games is eighty. Now people think, oh, the max you can box is four. That's the max to let you box. So you gotta you gotta box it. Like you gotta do you gotta take advantage of it. That's the way to win. What a lot of people don't realize is that when you're boxing the game, all you're doing is just playing a second ticket. So you have a $5 ticket in which you take every game and you take home team in Monday night football. And then your second ticket, which is also a $5 entrance, you take every team that you did and then you take the road team in Monday night football. All they're doing is just combining that onto one ticket. So it's a little easier for you. In theory, you could box every single game if you want. You just got to keep doubling your amount and that'll give you an additional game that you can hedge out. So you played that all those tickets and then you play all those tickets again with the one extra game checked out. So in theory, if you wanted to go, let's say 12, if you wanted to pick 12 teams correctly, you can do so. It's going to cost you 20 grand, but you can do that. And they'll let you do that. You just have to, might have to do it at a couple of different convenience stores, but you will be able to box 16 games. If you want, it's going to be like 300 grand or something, but you'll be able to do that. So in reality, boxing is nothing special in these pools. You don't need to do it. You can do it if you want, but all you're doing is just betting another ticket. You're not doing anything special in terms of like, um, you know, how it works. And it's, it's not like a secret hack. And it's definitely not an added edge. I agree with you there. Um, the boxing thing, technically, so I, I, I listen, I've played pro line pools for a long time. I've won pro line pools a couple times. No, no actual um, huge winners because it was decent split pots. But I think where you want to go about b- boxing is in you want to box games like people use the um, box technique in the wrong way. They tend to box games that are like a pick em spread. They don't know who's going to win, so they're going to box it. When in reality, I think the box is best utilized on games with bigger spreads where you could potentially box more underdogs in a week. Let's say like the three or four biggest underdogs try to pick every other game correctly. And if one of those big underdogs wins you're looking at a pretty large payout. Um, so it's counterintuitive to what the actual, like the the casual better, recreational better might think because they use the box as, uh, like I said, in, in, in many ways, but like Monday night football so that they don't have to sweat if, if it gets there or games with close spreads because they don't know who is going to win. The reality is none of us know who's going to win 15 games in an NFL week. It's going to be very, very heavily luck-based the reality is also that I do not want to win a week and make $1,300 and split with, you know, thousands of people. I want to win a week where I can make a million bucks or make half a million bucks. And in order to do that, you need that to be a week of chaos, which happens in the NFL a few times a year for sure. So I feel that the box is most useful in picking games that have that potential to, to win you a big payout. Um, whereas I think people counterintuitively think the opposite. Yeah, I, I agree. But I would say like, if you're going to play, you don't need to box. You could just pick them straight up. All you're doing is playing multiple tickets. So um, it's nothing special. But if you're going to box, like Rob said, yeah, boxing an underdog, getting a chance at that dog to cash, where if the favorite cashes and you think the favorite's going to cash, you're not eliminated. Um, but if the underdog does cash, your payout's increased. For these pools, you have to go contrarian. If you're just going to take every favorite, it's not going to be worth your money. Um, and for the most part, what I will say is, um, this is a government run thing where there's a lot of, you know, like, I guess I'll call it fees taken after the fact. So it's not like you're, 
you're getting the pool, the pot from everybody. There's a significant rake taken um, to host this. And as there should, because it's a government run thing and, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure and all the tickets printed and have, having the infrastructure set up to be able to go bet these at the convenience stores and stuff. And obviously you have the legitimacy where, you know, you're going to get paid out and things like that. But in general, um, you're definitely like in most cases, you're better off um, opening up a site, go to Betstamp. If you're in like, let's say... Um, Ontario, We're, we should have regulation coming pretty soon. You'll be able to open up an account um, and and place a parlay, like a 16-team a, a parlay. And what I think you'll often find is that your definitely your expected value is going to be higher on your parlay. But let's say you, you pick 15, uh, 16 teams and you box four, right? What you've essentially done then is bet $80 on a 12-team parlay. So forget the four that you boxed. You bet, you bet your 80 bucks, you've got 12 teams. Go to a bet365, put in those 12 teams and, you know, click risk 80 and see what that pays out. In most cases, that's going to pay out significantly more than what the pro pools would pay out in that scenario. If you're putting all favorites, it's going to pay off more because the, the pro line is going to be less. If you're putting all dogs, it's going to pay off more because the payout on bet365 is going to be higher. So I don't play pro pools. Um, I've done a couple tickets in the past. Um, I've never won. I've barely played, but it's not something I would ever do just because like it, it, there's other ways to, to bet right now that I think for the, for the more recreational guy, you would have more fun doing than the pro pools. But in terms of finding an edge, Rob said, you know, boxing those lower games, going contrarian, definitely don't pick all the favorites. I would say don't box four. You're just betting 80 bucks. It's the whole thing's going to be negative EV for anyone anyway. So don't box for just play one ticket for five bucks and then, you know, open up a site where you can play, you know, legally regulated and then bet a couple things there. And then if you don't want to pick a couple games, you don't have to pick every game. You can only bet the ones you're watching. You can only bet the things you can line shop, like so many different things um, where you're going to probably be better off betting from the comfort of your own home versus going in and doing that. But uh, we know it's very, very popular here. Not that I'm against it, but uh, I definitely think if people understood kind of what the box was and then if they were ever even able to just compare the odds versus a, a, a site that you'd be able to play on a, a regular sports book, they'd, they'd feel definitely strongly about not playing. My opinion, and I agree with you just in general, uh, I mean, it's, it's a minus EV proposition just for the most part because of uh, the fact that you're not getting the whole pot and in terms of uh, government rake on top of that, just like anything in any major competition, I guess, at this point. But I will say, if you play a ticket, and this is the best advice I can give for people, if you play a $5 ticket and you look at that ticket and you don't think that that can win you a million dollars, you can't. Not, you cannot win the pool by yourself. If all of those outcomes come through, then it's probably not worth playing the ticket. And that's kind of just my general advice on that. Uh, to Johnny's point, you're better off just going to make a big parlay instead. If you're just going to pick a bunch of favorites and maybe one underdog on a card, I, I just never really understand that because um, there's just, I, I, and there are some massive splits amongst people. There are weeks where literally thousands of people win because there's just not enough underdogs that come through. And sure, you're going to make a little bit of money, but these are, you know, you're not signing up to make a little bit of money. These are lottery tickets in a sense. So when you go fill out that card, look at that card, ask yourself, if this happens today in the NFL, if these 15 outcomes happening happen, am I going to win the sole pool? And if the answer is no, 
then you're probably just better off playing a parlay. Here, I'll tell you what else you can do if you really if you don't believe us is you can go look up at the OLG website. You can see the previous history um, of what the the pots were for each. So go take a look at it and see what the pot is. And then obviously you have the historicals on which teams won. So you'll probably know, yeah, this was a 16 out of 16 that won. And this paid uh, 28 grand. Now, if that's the case, take those 16 teams. And like, again, you can go to Betstamp even and just try to parlay them in our in our tool. Like it's a, it's a free, it's a tracking app, obviously, but you can still use it to check the odds and things like that, of course. So go into Betstamp, click parlay, put it in parlay mode. Click all of the teams that won. It's obviously straight up. It's not against the spread. So go back to last week, click all the teams that won, and then see what a $5 bet would have paid uh, and see if it's higher than what the OLG paid out. And then go back to next week. Try it again. Go back to next week. I think you'll find, um, you know, there's definitely scenarios in which it's going to, it's not going to be, it's not going to be every single week, but nine out of 10, it will be. Good advice. I mean, it's, the last thing I'll say we're, get, we're doing a podcast about general strategy. Um, there is a recreational component to a lot of what we're talking about where you're just in it to have fun. It's more fun, obviously, when you're winning, but I'm not suggesting that you have to follow everything that we've said down to a T, especially with the, the pro-line pools. There's some people who just want to play a $5 ticket and have a rooting interest uh, over the course of an NFL Sunday. Perfectly fine with that. Um, you just have to know that it's minus EV in general and that you're not doing anything to, to improve your chances of winning money in the long run. Uh, but again, this is for people who are, are in it to win it, so to speak. Uh, I never dis- dismiss the recreational component of betting and the people who bet for fun. I think that's, that's uh, like it's more than acceptable. You do you. Uh, but yes, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a podcast about helping people win in the long run. Uh, and I think we're just trying to to get as much information, uh, good information out there. All right, that's it, guys. Uh, we will we will see you next week. Uh, we're going to try to book a couple more guests leading up in this football season. Uh, we'll do another mailbag episode soon. And uh, any other topics that uh, you guys want to hear, any other things you want discussed, feel free to send us a DM at Circles Off on Twitter. You can email in to the podcast, uh, circles off at betstamp.app. You can uh, message Rob directly on Twitter and, um, you know, download Betstamp, try it out. The product's getting significantly better. We have some amazing changes coming next week that we're super excited about that are going to be, you know, game changers in my opinion to how people track bets and line shop. Um, and we're excited to build this thing. So appreciate everyone listening to Circles Off and uh, we'll see you next week.